Keep 1 Corinthians 15 handy. That's what we're going to be considering tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak. And we thank you that in this particular part of it, you show us how important the resurrection of our Lord Jesus is. Help us to know his life, that it may be ours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our 2017 is all of 19 hours and 15 minutes old. So I think that it's high time that we spend some time reflecting upon 2016. What was the year that's passed? How would you characterise it? What are the things that are going to stick in your mind? Now, if the, if the media is anything to go by, then really 2016 has been the year of celebrities dying. Is that accurate? I mean, that's what seems to come up in my feet all the time. Well, we started the year, if you can remember this far back, uh, with David Bowie. Alan Rickman, both of them dying, and then throughout the year, a long list of celebrities. Prince, Muhammad Ali, Fidel Castro, I don't know if you call him a celebrity, uh, infamous rather than famous, Zaza Gabor, and then of course in the last couple of weeks in the lead up to Christmas, George Michael, Carrie Fisher, all died. In 2016, we saw our own share of grief. As members of our church died earlier in the year, there was Marta who passed away and then Barbara and Elaine. And then in the last couple of weeks, just a few days before Christmas, Grandma Gilholm, for those who know her. If we had the solemnity to stop and to consider this, it would lead us to ask, is death the end? Is there such a thing as a resurrection? What comes next? The best answer that our world can give is, well, we kind of don't know. You can't really find out because in order to find out if something comes after death, first you've got to die and, well, at best we don't know and more likely, in fact, is a resounding no. There is no resurrection. There is nothing after death. All that happens is, well, death and or taxes and you don't escape from either. Christians, though, we have an answer. For we preach the resurrected Jesus. We preach Jesus who died and who was raised to life. There is life after death, for one man has been there, died and was raised. He has, if you like, blazed the trail that others may follow. Unfortunately, there are even so-called Christians who deny the resurrection who say, well, it's not, it's not really true. Jesus didn't really come back from the dead. I mean, it's, it's a story, it's a metaphor, it's a picture, it's a lovely analogy to help us realise that when we're down in the dumps, we too can pick ourselves up or whatever it is that they think it means. Bishop Spong, who was a, he's retired now, but he was a bishop in the Episcopal Church in America, the, the equivalent of the Anglican Church, very famously denied, denied the existence of hell, said hell is something the church made up. And he denied the physical resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's just superstition. That's not true. That couldn't possibly be true. That's what I want to consider today. What is lost if Jesus was not raised from the dead? What is lost if Jesus is, in fact, still dead? Now, as Paul uh, presents this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see five points, five sad consequences, if you like, if Christ has not been raised. 
But I'll tell you the ending. We read it in verse 20. You already know it. Christ has been raised. (laughs) And so for each one of those five sad points, I'm going to flip it around and in fact show you the five gifts that the resurrection of Jesus gives us. Now you've got a handout with the outline of where we're going. And the first point is this. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is false and in vain. Let's read again from verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul lays out the problem in verses 12 and 13. He says this, If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been fair enough. If nobody is raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, verse 14, our preaching is useless. More than that, 15, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, if he's still in a tomb somewhere, the bones have long gone, then Paul is telling lies. His preaching is false. For he preaches Christ crucified and raised. In fact, he's not just telling lies, he's telling lies about God. Because he's saying that God raised him from the dead. Flick back to the start of chapter 15 from verse 3 and listen to the gospel that Paul brought to the church in Corinth. Note how much of this is not true if Christ has not been raised. Verse 3, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Well, yeah, okay, that, that could still be true. That he was buried, okay, that could be true. That he was raised on the third day, well, that's a lie. That he appeared to Peter, well, that's a lie. He can't have appeared if he's still dead. That he appeared to the twelve, that's a lie. That he appeared to more than 500, that's a lie. That he appeared to James, that's a lie. That he appeared to me, that's a lie. If Christ has not been raised, then what we are preaching is a whole bunch of porkies. And not only are they lies, but therefore they are useless. For we are telling people to follow a risen Messiah who is in fact dead. If Christ has not been raised, Paul's preaching is in vain and our preaching is not true and is useless. We proclaim the risen Lord Jesus. We preach saying, I know Jesus. I've met him. I know him. I love him. He knows me. He loves me. None of which is true if he's dead. Furthermore, it's in vain. I'm telling you to follow a lie that has no power and is useless. I'm leading you astray. I'm deluded myself. And together we're all wasting our time. If Christ has not been raised. In fact, if Jesus is still dead, I might as well quit the ministry. There's no point in me continuing to do what I do in in myself being deluded and in leading you astray. Why would I do that? We live in a world that needs truth. We live in a world where everything is subjective. You get to choose what's good for you, and I'll choose what's good for me, and we'll each go our merry way and do what we do. In fact, we live in a world full of lies, where anyone will say anything in order to get ahead. 
Friends, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is false and in vain. But Christ has indeed been raised. And so our preaching, far from being false, is indeed the historical reality. Far from being useless and in vain, is effective and powerful because we proclaim the risen Lord Jesus. He is the one who is alive and who makes the message effective and powerful. I'm not going to spend a lot of time tonight arguing for the historicity of the resurrection, arguing the case to say, yes, Jesus was raised. There's lots of books about that. I can show you some resources if you like. Enough to say that there are no real credible scholars who deny the fact, as the Bible put it forward. The tomb was empty. The disciples' lives were absolutely transformed. And the explanation for these facts, the best one, is that Jesus truly was raised to new life. Okay, that's number one. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is false and in vain. Secondly, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. It's there in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, he says, verse 14, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Or verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If Christ has not been raised, we are trusting somebody to save us who cannot save himself. Not much point in doing that. We're putting our trust in somebody to see us through death who has been defeated by death. I quite enjoy surfing. And it's a little bit harder now, as you know. We live a little bit further from the beach than we used to. But I used to get out to Bondi Beach fairly regularly. We live reasonably close, close to that. And so we'd get out. It's not actually a great beach to surf at because there's just so many people there. There's tourists everywhere. There's a, a, tourons, as, as they're called out the back, halfway between tourists and moron because, you know, they're out there and you're just going to take them out anyway. It's, it's not pleasant. But you get out there. It's good fun. And this particular day, I was sitting right at the back on my longboard, as you do. And from there, you can kind of see the whole beach. And you can see where the rips are. And we were sitting at the back and we saw these two young guys get into the water a long way. I mean, you know, where, where are you supposed to swim when you're, at the flat, when you're at the beach? In between the flats, right? We know that. These guys, yeah, whatever, ha, this is a good bit to get in. In they jump and you could see the dark water straight into the rip. They had no idea. So first they start getting dragged sideways. That's all good. No problems yet. And then all of a sudden the rip swung and started bringing them out to sea. And of course they did what everybody does when they're caught in a rip. What do you try and do if you don't have no idea what you're doing? They're trying to swim back to the beach. So they're swimming against the rip and they're getting absolutely nowhere. Just pulled straight out till they suddenly realise we're in trouble, right? Arms go over. A couple of the surfers came over, got them on. The lifeguards came out, got them out of the water, gave them a good talking to. Right, go swim between the flags. It can't have been 10 minutes later. Same two guys got in again, the same spot. And you sit there going, it's going to happen again. And they get dragged sideways and then it swung and then they started getting pulled straight out. Now imagine if you're one of those two guys and you're, in the, and you're getting pulled out to sea and you're starting to go under and the other one says to you, don't worry, mate, I can save you. Well, of course you can't. You're in exactly the same problem I'm in. Yeah, how can you? You're going under. There is nothing you can do to save me. 
What I need is somebody out there who can defeat the problem that I have. I need the lifeguards to come and save me. If Jesus hasn't been raised, we are relying on somebody who's in the rip with us to save us. Our faith is futile. We are trusting the wrong thing. We are trusting the wrong person. I don't know those those so-called Christians who don't believe Jesus was resurrected. I don't understand what they do believe in. How can somebody who has not been raised from the dead save you from death? Well, they tend to not, they don't reject the resurrection, they just reinterpret it. Oh, it's a good story. It's a story that teaches us that when we're at our lowest, we can still be brought back up. I mean, what's, what's the point of that? We need somebody that we can fully, completely, and utterly depend upon, both for this life and more importantly, for judgment in the next. We need the lifeguard who can get us out of the rip, not somebody who's in there with us. And friends, Jesus has indeed been raised. And so our faith, far from being futile, far from being pointless, far from trusting in the wrong thing, is productive and useful. We are trusting in the one who can save. For he himself has come out from death. Well, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is false and in vain. Our faith is futile. And so thirdly, Paul says, we are still in sin. So there in verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There it is. Now, this one's a little bit of a harder one for us to get our heads around. Because usually when we preach, this is what we say, Christ died for your sin. His death on the cross is what has paid for your sin. So how is it that his resurrection deals with our sin? Couldn't it be that Jesus died for sin and sin was dealt with and then he didn't rise again? I mean, shouldn't surely sin would still be paid for? You get the problem? I mean, it's a difficulty with how we preach. But here, quite clearly, if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sin. Now, what we need to understand is what we saw very briefly passing through in Isaiah 53, or Romans 4, if you want to look it up later. The resurrection is the vindication. It's the proof. It's God saying, yes, this was the death for sin. This wasn't just one more death. This wasn't just a random bloke in the middle of well, Israel way back then who died. This truly was the one who died for sin. And I'm going to raise him to new life to show you that he was successful in defeating sin and death. Isaiah 53, we read, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. After the servant has paid the price, God will give him the new life. I'll tell you what, this is the real heart of it. This is where the rubber really hits the road. For the need that our world has greater than any other is to be right with God. Is to have sin dealt with. Is the power of sin to be removed, both the slavery that exists in this world and the judgment that will come in the next. That is the greatest need. And if there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. For nobody has dealt with sin. But Christ has indeed been raised. And so, rather than still being in our sin, all of our sin and all of its consequences have been dealt with. Salvation is ours. 
For Christ has been raised. Well, if Christ hasn't been raised, point one, you're going to know all these by the end of the night. Point one, our preaching is false and in vain. Point two, our faith is futile. Point three, we are still in our sins. And so therefore, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then the dead in Christ are lost. Verse 18. We'll go from 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sin, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. There's no hope for them. If you die, and those before us who were Christian, if they died trusting in Jesus to save them, but Jesus can't save them, then, well, if you're part of my French, they're stuffed. They've got no hope when they come before the judgment seat of God. For they will have to stand before him alone. Their sin to be judged. Still in sin. And in fact, those of us who comforted others in the midst of grief lied. Oh, so-and-so was a Christian and they died. Well, it's okay, you have the hope of heaven. Well, no, you don't. If Christ has not been raised, they are lost. Just as we will be too. Funerals are an interesting time. You know, I've seen a number. Four of my five grandparents have died now. I have five because one remarried. Two of them were not Christian and their families, by and large, were not Christian at all. Two of them were Christian and their families were Christian. And the funerals couldn't have been more different. I don't know if you've ever been to the funeral of somebody who isn't a Christian and the family isn't. It's a fairly depressing affair, really. I mean, you, you kind of look back over the life of the person a bit. You might reminisce if there's something good to say about them. You might have a, a, a little poem that kind of sounds nice. You have a few drinks. You, you kind of vaguely wish that perhaps maybe there's something better for them. I don't, I don't know, but maybe. And that's kind of it. Pretty sad, really. Whereas the Christian funerals were completely different. You rejoice in the person's life. You thank God for what he did in them and through them. You can praise God that through Jesus' death and resurrection there is real everlasting hope. Not a wishy-washy, oh, maybe they're in a better place, but a sure knowledge that because Christ has been raised, they too will be raised and we will see them again. It's the best hope you can have in the face of death. This is what our world needs. What comes next? What comes after death? And, and all they can offer is fear, really. But Christ has indeed been raised. And so our eternity is assured. And we grieve not like those who have no hope. Or if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is false and in vain, our faith is futile, we are still in sin, so the dead in Christ are lost. And really, Paul says, verse 19, we should be pitied more than anyone else. If only for this life we hope in Christ, he says, we are to be pitied more than all men. Can you imagine just wasting your life? Undergoing suffering and persecution, giving your money away, all your time and effort away for the sake of a kingdom that doesn't exist. We suffer now 
because of what's to come. And if there's nothing to come, then all we've done is made it harder for ourselves. In fact, Paul puts it like this at the end of the chapter, verse 30. He says, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Why bother? I'll die every day, he says. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? What's the point? If Christ, if the dead are not raised, he says, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If Christ has not been raised, you and I are not only fools, but really we should be pitied. But Christ has, of course, been raised. And so far from being pitied, really the world should envy us. For everything they want, we have. And in a way that they can't even begin to imagine. We have God-given truth. We have trust. We have confidence in our eternity. We have relationship with the living God of the universe. We have our future secured. We have this life with purpose and meaning. We have everything that you could possibly want and given to us freely. Far from being pitied, we should be envied above all. I want you to begin 2017 knowing this, that Jesus lives. Jesus is alive. In his life, he has defeated sin and its power so that you and I can know salvation. It is his life that we proclaim. The gospel, think about your evangelism for a moment as you share this message with others. The gospel isn't so much a message to be shared as it is a person that we would introduce others to. For Jesus is alive. Jesus is here. Jesus is able to convince you that he is true and that he is the single greatest treasure in the universe. Is that the Jesus you know? And is that the Jesus that you will bring your friends, your family, your neighbours, everybody who needs to hear? Is that the Jesus that you will bring them to meet? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you raised your son, the Lord Jesus, from death to new life. And thank you that because of that, what we preach is the truth as you have given it to us. Our preaching isn't in vain and useless, but it is rather powerful and effective as Jesus himself introduces himself to us. Thank you that our faith, that our trust is not misplaced but is traced in, placed in exactly the right one who can save. Thank you that our sin is dealt with as demonstrated in the resurrection. Thank you that we grieve the dead with real hope and we face our own mortality with sure confidence. Father, thank you that really far from being pitied, we should be envied. And all of it, not because of what we have done or in any way deserve, all of it because it is as a gift. It is your mercy, it is your love and your kindness that has given all of this to us. 
And so, Father, give us boldness to live for our risen Lord and to introduce him to all that we can. Amen.